This is KUOW Seattle. I'm Ross Reynolds, and I'm pleased to have with me Walter Mosley. His first book, The Devil in the Blue Dress, won an Edgar nomination for the Best New Mystery from the Mystery Writers of America. His newest is called White Butterfly, and it's the third in the Easy Rollins series. Easy Rollins, Ezekiel Rollins is his name, and he's been called a fixer. He's not really a detective, is he? No, not at all. He's, um, He's just a guy who does favors for people. What kind of favors? Well... Being black and living in the black community, easy. There are a lot of people in the community who need help, and they don't feel they can go to the police, or they really can't. And Easy is a kind of guy who helps people out in those situations. Now he's in South Central Los Angeles, a place where you uh, spent some time as a kid. Is that right? I was born there and raised in Southeast LA. Was all of uh, this description of uh, Southeast LA after World War II out of your remembrances of it? Well, you know. Memory is a funny thing. I was born in 1952, but it seems to me that people usually remember as back as far back as the generation that raises them because their stories are about that. So my stories are the stories of the people I lived around when I was a, a kid. How does Easy Rollins get pulled into the story that uh, White Butterfly is about, into this murder investigation? Well, Easy, um, he's trying not to do favors for people anymore. He's married. He has a child. He uh, owns some apartment buildings, though nobody, including his wife, knows that. And uh, he just wants kind of an easy life. Uh, Black women have been getting killed in the neighborhood, raped and murdered. And even though the police want him to help out, he just tells them no. And he doesn't feel good about it, but he just doesn't want to get involved. And then when a white woman gets killed, uh, a lot of pressure comes down on him, and he realizes that even he is caught in this kind of web of racism where he's not going to help somebody black, but he has to help white people. Why does he have to help white people? Because the pressure from the police, who know Easy very well, is so great that he knows that he won't be able to live his life happily anymore if he doesn't get involved. And they go to him because he has contacts they don't. Yeah, they go to him because in the... Um, 40s and 50s and back before then, it was almost impossible for the police to get information on the black community. There's this thing that you mentioned that he, he owns this property. He's probably pretty well-to-do owning this property, but he doesn't want anyone to know about it. Why is that? Well, there's a, that, that comes from a story about my father, which is very funny. My father was a, a custodian for the Board of Education in Los Angeles, and he owned a lot of apartment buildings, and he had a Cadillac. But he would always drive an old Ford to work. And I asked him one day, I said, Dad, why do you do that? Why don't you drive your Cadillac to work? He said, because the day I drive that Cadillac to work, I'm going to not be able to work with the people anymore because they're all going to be jealous of me. And it happened. One day he did drive it to work, and that was it. He couldn't work well with anybody anymore. And that's the reason Easy also doesn't... Easy realizes that that white people at that time were not going to accept his success. He's, he's comfortable in the community he lives in. He's a confident person, but he's also kind of ill at ease. Uh, you write at one point, uh, this is easy narrating. I pulled a copy of Plato's writings from my shelf and read the Phaedo from, by the sunlight coming in my living room window. My eyes hazed over when he died on that stone bench. I wondered how it would be to be a white man, a man who felt that he belonged. I tried to imagine how it would feel to give up my life because I loved my homeland so much. Not the hero's death in the heat of battle, but a criminal's death. That line, him imagining what it would feel like to belong, he's an outsider. Yeah, Easy is an outsider. And I think that, I think that, you've, that, that, that little part of the book has a lot of resonance in the black community, that uh, 
you belong, but you don't ever completely belong. I mean, you, you're, you don't have the full range of possibility, and nobody you're related to has that range. If people have told you that they can relate to that part of it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that, and that's pretty true. I mean, and, and you are an American, and you believe that you're an American, and you believe that you're part of the world, and you might have even gone out and fought in wars and everything, but still, you know, things are different. Easy, uh, these books start in 1948 and will go up to about 19... 88, 1990. And what they're mapping is they're easy and everyone he knows were in World War II. And they're from the South and they fought in this war and they, and they realize that in the war that they really were Americans and they were, really were equal and they were looked on as heroes by the Europeans. But when they got home, they were still in the South. And so these people had to leave where they came from in order to, to live the life that they knew and move to California, and, and just and just that whole this just that not being able to come home, being displaced by your own sense of self, is the kind of problem that Black people have been facing in America forever. Easy doesn't just become a fixer when he moves to Los Angeles, does he? How does he get into that? Well, he falls into it. He's a he's a easy. I mean, this isn't only about Black people. Easy himself has a quirk in his character. He really, he's very intelligent and he wants to be able to help other people and work with other people. And at the same time, he wants to understand himself better. And so this little um, glitch in his personality gets him into trouble, always. I'm speaking with Walter Mosley. His most recent in the, in the series of Easy Rollins Mysteries is called White Butterfly. Have you got this whole series plotted right out to the early 80s? Yeah, pretty much. I know what I'm going to be. I know what I'm going to be doing in the last book, and I know the next three. So yeah, pretty much. You didn't start. Uh, you started writing relatively late in life, didn't you? Yeah, I started writing. I'm I'm 40 now, so I must have started writing when I was 33. You weren't one of these uh, people who went to college and knew you wanted to be a writer right away. No, I I knew I wanted to be something, but it, you know, it took a while. I you know to grow up or whatever. You were a computer programmer at one time, right? For 15 years. And how did it all of a sudden come to you that? I'd, I'd really rather be a writer. Well, I was a consultant working for Mobile Oil in New York, and I was working on a Saturday. Nice thing that consultants can do. And I was, instead of writing my program, I was writing these sentences. One of the sentences was, on hot, sticky days in southern Louisiana, the fire ants swarmed. And I really liked that line a lot. And so <laughs> I don't know what I think about it anymore, but I liked it then. And um, so I decided I wanted to be a writer. Was it scary to think, I mean, it must be relatively secure to be a computer programmer for 15 years and uh, jumping into writing much less secure? You know, it, it isn't so secure. I, I think it might have been at one time. But when I was, uh, I worked for a place called Home Insurance, and they had this bank of, I don't know, adjusters. I don't know what they were, but there were these, these guys, men, white, in their mid-50s, and they worked on this in this, all these offices right next to each other. And one day I came to work and they, ha they were all like wandering around like they were lost and they were crying and they were very upset. And they'd all been fired. They just closed that part of the insurance company. And so that therefore, it wasn't an ageist thing. I think like get rid of all of them. And I think America has changed in the last 10 years where you never really feel, feel secure. So it didn't, it didn't feel so bad to leave it. Once you decided to become a writer, how did you go about doing it? What, what happened between then and publishing your first book? Well, I first I went to, there was a private class that somebody told me about, and I studied there for a few months. And then I applied to the 
graduate program at the City College of New York, and I studied there for a couple of years. And while studying there, I wrote a book, and that didn't really work, so I wrote this one. And uh, the guy who was the head of the program, a guy named Fred Tutton, one day he said, let me see your book, and I gave it to him. And I went away for a weekend, and I came back. He said, well, my agent's going to represent you now. So, I mean, that's what happened. The book that didn't make it, though, uh, had Easy Rollins in it? Yeah, that was a book also about Easy. It wasn't, it wasn't in the genre. It wasn't a mystery, really. Easy and Mouse in southern Texas in the, about 1940. Was it a disappointment for you when that one didn't go anywhere? It was, you know, but, you know, you, I mean, the thing that you have to expect is you're, you're not going to get your first novel accepted, you know. You have to go through it. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't know, destroyed by it. How about uh, making these books into film? Is there any talk of that? I just finished writing a screenplay for Universal, and they have it today thinking about it. So we'll see what happens. A lot of writers uh, worry about what happens to their work once they send it off to the movie mill. Yeah, I'm not so worried about it. Mainly, I see my art is in writing fiction. And so movies is a couple of things. Movies is another art, you know, dominated by the director and the producer in the studio. So that it's their responsibility as far as art is concerned. And also it's a way to make money. So, I mean, you know. Is it hard for people who are labeled as mystery writers to get respect from the literary community? I, you know, I think about this a lot. Um, my publisher is uh, W.W. Norton, and I'm the only mystery writer there. And they publish me because they like my work. And, and so there's respect for me, and they're letting me do other kind of work. They're not forcing me into it. And I think that as a writer, you have to kind of identify yourself to, to the world. It's easy to be put into that, into, just into the genre, but you allow yourself to do that, all, to, that to be done to you also. You've been compared uh, to um, some of the books, uh, the Philip Marlowe books, uh, to Raymond Chandler's Mysteries, because they're also about Los Angeles in the mid-century, and your books have been called kind of nice companion pieces because they're about the black community. Do you think that's a good comparison? The negative side. Uh, I mean, I love being compared to Chandler because Chandler was great. And and we do have some things in common. I, I don't think it's our writing or the poetry in our language or anything like that, but there's a sense of... of um, there's a sense there's place there's a sense of place and also there's a sense of character when somebody I read the other day in a review of my book that a, somebody compared me to Chandler the first time I really agreed they said Mosley loves his characters in the same way that Chandler loved his and that's true I do love my characters and Chandler did love his he had a lot of uh, sympathy for his character at this stage in your writing what, what what do you want to learn about writing what do you want to do better hmm. wow that's that's some question one I want to do what I do better Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just to, you know, just, because, you know, just line by line, you know, when I go through books now, I go, oh, did I write that? Oh, <laughs> no. Uh, I, 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 I don't even know. I want to get better. I want to learn. I want to have more control over the language and, uh, and deeper, more moving stories. Would you ever go back and rewrite one of your books? It's been done. I can't imagine it at this moment. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine it. How do you know when it's done? How do you know when it's the best you can get at that point and uh, ready to send it off to the publisher? Well, there's a few ways. One, you know, I mean, it, even even writing a novel isn't a solitary act. I have an agent who loves reading my work and talks to me a lot about it, and, of course, my editor. Um, so at, at the point where all three of us agree that it's okay, that's pretty much, that's pretty much the time because it can always be better. I mean, you can always make the work better. And, but there's a, just a time when you have to stop and move on. And when we hit that point, 
we just agree. Is there some easy Rollins in Walter Mosley? I think that a little. The 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 er, the section that you read is uh, a lot. The, the stuff that comes from me when I see, you know, when Easy's reading Thucydides or Plato and he's, and he's trying to compare, you know, place himself in history. That's a lot me. A lot of it is my father. And uh, a lot of it is just, you know, just, I don't know, the hundreds of black people I knew in Los Angeles who, you know, lived, lived this life. You know, when, in one of the books I talk about men hanging out on the street corners waiting for work. And I know there's so much of that that, that went on in Los Angeles. And I, I experienced you know, these people's lives. Your your location for the story, South Central, of course, has been in the news tremendously <laughs> over the past four or five months with the disturbances which took place in the wake of the Rodney King verdict. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, sometimes I read it and I go, God, you know, this is just like Rodney King. Yeah, I even wrote that before then. How amazing. But, you know, it's just the the funny thing about the the whole thing about uh, the, the what's happened in Los Angeles with Rodney King and later in the riots is that Black people could have said all this stuff, you know, 10 years ago. Well, I was wondering if things changed a lot in South Central since the time in which you set uh, these books. It got harder. It Really, the, the things is that, that L.A. in the 40s was very open. It was growing fast. It was a wonderful, uh, wonderful community, and anybody could work. And now things are really cut off a lot. And, that, you know, and you have, you know, 50 percent or higher unemployment among young black men. You know, and people who are employed are employed at jobs that you know can't they can't support themselves on them. Yeah, it's very difficult. Walter Mosley's with us. He's a mystery writer. His most recent book is called uh, White Butterfly. It's one of the series of Easy Rollins uh, mysteries. You mentioned just before we went on that you uh, just got back from an international crime writers uh, convention in Spain. That sounds pretty exciting. Boy, it was it was it was in a town called Gijon, which is in northeastern Spain. It's cool. It's a working-class town of 300,000. And Paco Taibo, who ran it, you know, who's a mystery writer, um, he wanted, his, his idea is to have popular culture and literature together. And so we were in a place where on one side, you know, Los Lobos is playing. On the other side, there's like a roller coaster, and in the middle, there's a bunch of crime writers from Cuba and Russia and America discussing, you know, existentialism in the crime novel, and and people just walking through, going to all these things at once. It was really crazy. What did you learn? I, you know, I'm not even sure yet. It was, ju- it was just, it was such an odd thing. The one thing that I that I experienced was I'd be sitting there on a panel talking about Ross McDonald and theories of the unconscious, and there'd be people coming in, and you know, I'm speaking in English and it's being translated into Spanish, and there are people, you know, like with little children and old people, who are just people who live in the town, working class people who would never go to a literary conference, mm-hmm. coming by and looking and walking into the tent and listening to me talk or whoever talk, and I kind of thought that Paco had a good idea. You know? Did you meet any of your uh, literary heroes? No, there were none of my literary heroes there. A lot of my contemporaries, uh, many of whom I didn't know, people from Germany, people from Cuba, Argentina. It was a lot of people. I I met a lot of people and learned a lot. Uh, For instance, I learned a lot about uh, that that there's a lot music in Cuba, and there are people in Cuba who have an unbroken line of Yoruban uh, religion. And so they have Yoruban music and, and religion, and and these people don't consider themselves African or anywhere related to Africans. I was just talking to this guy, Husto, about that. It was really amazing. You've alluded in interviews to including 
some musical figures in books in the future, including uh, Seattleite Jimi Hendrix. Oh yeah, certainly, Jimi Hendrix. He might hero. show up as a as a fictional a fictional version of Jimi in one of your books. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't use Jimi Hendrix himself. He's just too wonderful to, you know. I mean, Jimi Hendrix's music is too great to to confuse with anything I would write in fiction. But uh, he's a wonderful character. I mean, great music, and also he's just his life is just a is really something really wonderful to look at. Well, I'd also be intrigued to see what you come up with with uh, one of the most mysterious figures in music in the whole century. Of course, Robert Johnson, uh, the, the blues singer getting a lot more prominence lately because of the reissue of his recordings uh, that uh, have sold quite well and brought his music to a lot of folks, man, who wrote Crossroads and and a a mysterious history to his life. No one quite knows how he died or his origins. uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm working on it. Even this morning, I was, I'm working on this book that in which Robert Johnson is the negative space, meaning to say Robert Johnson doesn't uh, really appear as himself in the novel, but people who knew him are in the novel, and they're all talking about him. I, uh, I decided a while ago that I couldn't write about – if I did write about Johnson's history, it would, his music was so great that it would be kind of a disservice to him, that it, it's, the, it's the sense – of of Robert Johnson that that you, that you want to get Robert Johnson who's like the Christopher Marlowe of the blues. Uh, what do you mean by that allusion, the well, Christopher Marlowe of the blues? I wrote a, a in a magazine called Conjunctions. I wrote a small um, essay comparing Christopher Marlowe and Robert Johnson. Christopher Marlowe, uh, blank verse existed before him, but he made it into high art. Christopher Marlowe died in his twenties, was murdered in a bar. Uh, was a was a heretic and and sexually very wild and so was Robert Johnson. I mean, they're like they're like the same thing. They're both geniuses. They both died when they were early. They both were were very wild. I was just they, I, they seem to me like the same person, and uh, they they both really excite me. Walter Mosley, his book is called uh, White Butterfly and Easy Rollins Mystery, and he has a lot of other stuff in the work also. And we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today on Seattle Afternoon. Yeah, thanks a lot.